Man, I tell you what, I mean, if that doesn't light your fire, come on. I mean, five kids, five students, last Wednesday night in two different places on our campus. And I want to go ahead and just plug that on Christmas Eve, just in two weeks, at our one service at 1030, we already have three lined up. And so, guys, I'm excited about what God's doing in our student ministry, our kids' ministry, in our church. Because as we're celebrating Advent, we talked the first week about hope. We talked about how that's that futuristic thing that God has set before us, and then that brings us peace. But this week, as we've lit this last, this second, uh, third candle, excuse me, can't remember if it's first, second, third, fourth, or fifth. I was going to get it right eventually. This third candle is the candle of joy. Say joy. Come on, you got to say it with a smile on your face. Say joy. joy. And, and, you know, this represents the shepherd's candle. Because what was it that the angel said to the shepherds? Joy has come. And so today as we dig in, I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're, we're going to talk about joy. And I want to talk to you about how you can have joy even when everything in your life seems to be unraveling and coming apart. In fact, we're just saying joy to the world. But I think sometimes we sing songs and we don't read what we're singing. Because honestly, joy to the world is not a Christmas song. And some of you are looking at me like, come on, I've been singing this song for 59 and a half years. This is a Christmas song. That's my favorite Christmas song. Well, you don't see the word Christmas or baby or manger. You see the word room in the song, but that's not talking about no room in the inn. He's talking about making room for him in your heart. And so, let me just read through those lyrics. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. It's past tense. He came as a babe, but now we are waiting in anticipation for his second coming. That's what this song is about. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. All creation singing, rejoicing. Joy to the world. No more let sin and sorrow grow. This is the third verse. We don't sing it a lot. We skip it. Nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Catch this. Far as the curse is found. Y'all realize that a lot of modern day uh, Renditions of this song are leaving that out. They don't want to talk about the curse. But we know we live under the curse, right? That's why we long for Jesus to come back. And then that last, that last verse, he rules the world with truth and grace. John, 1, 4, John, John chapter 1, verse 14. And makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. It was written by Isaac Watts in 1719, published in what, one of his works called The Psalms of David, and it was based upon Psalm 98. And if it's all right, I'd like to read through the psalm, and I want you to notice each time it, it, it emphasizes this idea of joyfully rejoicing in the Lord. Listen to what he says. Verse 1, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. The Lord has made his salvation known. He's revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Now, this is the basis for the song, Joy to the World. 
So he goes into verse 4. Shout joyfully. that scare you? I can't shout any louder than that. You know, I make fun of little boys when they're about 12 years old because they could high-pitched scream one minute. The next minute, they sound like Tarzan. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy. Sing praises. He says it again. Sing praise to the Lord with the lyre. That's not telling a lie. Liar is a harp. That's, that's the worst bad dad joke I'll tell you today. But you, some of us don't even know what a liar is. And with the song of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, shout joyfully before the king, the Lord. Let the sea roar in all it contains. Let the rivers clap their hands and sing together for joy. This, this psalm lifts you up. This song gets you ready. This is like a coach going in to the locker room before the football game, and they all start doing that weird kind of chant with each other. And you're going like, these boys are possessed. But then they run out on that field. And, and that's what happens to us. We read this, and it ought to rise up within us, this desire to want to praise the Lord. He says in the last verse, before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the earth with righteousness and the people with equity. In fact, one author said this. He said, this, this, this is a close companion to Psalm 96. But here there are no comparisons with the heathens, no instructions in right worship. He said, all is joy and exhilaration. You know what I'm talking about. When your football team wins a game, it just lifts you up. When your kids play in a game and they get a, the winning score or get a touchdown or a, a shot, when your kid's performing on, on the dance or in some kind of musical, man, it just, it just does something within you. Sometimes when I'm watching my kids, I actually begin to weep. I don't know why. It's not I'm sad. I'm just so overcome with exhilarating emotion that I can't not say something that is of praise. In fact, I really don't think we have a worship problem. I think we have a joy problem. We know what we ought to do. We know how we ought to worship, when we ought to. We we know we have opportunities. But the problem I think we have in worship is a problem in life, and it's how to have joy when there's no reason to be happy. How can I find joy when my life is falling apart? When things don't go the way that I want, when people let me down, when I experience loss and tragedy, how can I have the emotion of joy in the midst of sadness? What is the secret to having joy? And if joy is missing, then how, how is my worship? Pastor and author Stephen Brown said this, if there is no laughter, Jesus has gone somewhere else. If there is no joy and freedom, it is not a church. It's simply a crowd of melancholy people basking in religious neurosis. If there is no celebration, there really is no worship. And that's a conviction for us sitting here today. But also, it's an opportunity. Because joy is more than an emotion. Joy is an object, Joy is something that I'm placing my hope within. And he has a name. His name is Jesus. And so the solution to getting the feeling right or to find a reason to have joy has to go beyond my emotionally, fleshly state of mind. I must have something in which to put 
my hope. And so Peter is going to show to us, I believe, the secret of that joy. First Peter was written to those who are scattered across the region, the diaspora as they were called, writing to encourage them to persevere through trials and hardship and persecution. Like a small animal fleeing from a predator, fearing for life, those dispersed faced a backlash from their culture for their faith in Christ. But yet they found a way to rejoice, to have joy. So would y'all stand with me as we read, starting in verse number three from 1 Peter. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And everyone said, amen. That is the object of our hope and our joy and our peace right there. Verse number four, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. You who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Say rejoice. This is the first of two occurrences of this in this paragraph. And I think you need to mark it if you mark your Bible. Because it is a primary verb. Rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, here's another primary verb, you love him. You love him. And though you have not seen him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice. There's the second appearance of that verb, with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And God, as we stand under the reading of your word, would you remind us of the richness of the inexpressible majesty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we read this today, God, may it birth within us joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin this, in the blanks, if you want to fill in and write some sentences, I, I think there's three things I see from this passage that births joy within our hearts. The first one is this. We can have joy in the finished work of Christ. Not the unfinished or the partially finished or the half finished. There is not anything on the face of this planet that you can add to your salvation to make it more. You can't save yourself. You are utterly in need of salvation from the cross. It's not add to, it's not gospel plus plus anything. What we see in this text is I can have joy because Jesus did every bit of it and he did it for you and me. And all of God's people said, so when you think in your mind, hey, listen, I just, I need to make this a little bit better, you know, I need to get my life cleaned up. No, he does the cleanup. On aisle 15, you're a shattered jar of pickles, and you can't clean yourself up, but Jesus Christ did every bit of it on the cross. Let's start with verse number three, let me break this down. He starts out by saying blessed, Now, this is not 
makarios from Matthew 5 that we talked about a few weeks ago, which meant happiness. This word here actually means to bless, to honor, to glorify something worthy of praise. And so it is a linking verb. Blessed is the God and Father. So he begins with the Father who is to be praised, the creator of the universe. But, but who is this God and Father? God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice he attributes lordship to Jesus. In the Old Testament, when you study the names of God, you know, you get Elohim, which is the word for God, even though it's in the plural in its form, we know we have how many God? One. That's why I didn't put an S on the end of it. It doesn't make grammatical sense. But that's the word for God in the Old Testament. His covenant name is Yahweh or Jehovah. And, and when you see that in most modern translations, the word Lord will be used with all capital letters. Some of you already knew that. Some of you may not. When you read the Old Testament and you see L-O-R-D in all caps, that is the word Yahweh, Jehovah, his covenant name. When he gave it to Moses at the burning bush, I am who I am, that's what that means. But then there's a third word, which was Adonai, which means to be a ruler, but, but it was also attributed to the Lord. It was attributed to when David wrote Psalm, one of the Psalm, Psalm 110, he said, the Lord said to my Lord, Yahweh said to my Adonai. So he's giving lordship to, the, to Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, God Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 19 says that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And he did this, how? According to his great mercy. There's not a single person on the face of this planet that can ever earn or deserve the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one can. But God in his benevolent attention toward you and me, though we did not deserve it, though we did not earn it, he extends it to us in his great mercy, which is worth praise. And he has caused us to be born again. In fact, that's a compound word that's only used twice. I mean, it literally means born, Anna, which means a second time. Again, it means to be get. Secondly, we are born again. He uses it in 123 when he says, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. And what are we being born to? We're being born to a living hope. We've talked so much about hope. Hope is our mantra, is it not? But this is living hope. This is not dead hope. This is not a good idea. This is living hope. Jesus wants to give you life. He doesn't want to give you death. He's rescuing you from that which has killed you, that is destroying you, and he wants to lead you away from that. That's why repentance is so important. That's why it attacks easy believism. You understand that the righteous judgment of your sin is death. Yes or no? Jesus Christ rescued you out of that. So why would you continue walking in the very thing that is killing you? He is giving you living hope. Why? Because that which we have hope in is alive today, sitting at the right hand of God, making intercession for you and for me, even at this moment. And so through the resurrection, he says, goes on, he says, 
to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Thus, we see in this verse the finished work of Christ who died, was buried, raised again, and in that causes you and me to be born again. You see, we see in this the fullness of the finished work based on what Jesus has done. And because of that, God is more than worthy to be blessed and praised and honored and glorified, as it says in Revelation 5.13, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever. With every breath that comes from my lips, let the Lord be honored and praised for his finished work. And I can have joy in that. But secondly, I can have joy because I have an inheritance. Look at verse number four. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled. Meaning, again, that being born again grants us the living hope, but it grants us this inheritance. And it doesn't fade away. It lasts forever with no expiration date, no contaminants. It doesn't need anything to keep it fresh. It's reserved for you and me in heaven, which is in the perfect tense, meaning it is completely done, reservation made, paid for, no cancellation, and we get to experience some of that even now. I'm going to confess to you, if we have to go back to farming, I'm dead. Because I can't grow beans, I can't grow corn. Laura's dad does the growing, I do the eating. But there is one thing I can grow, and that's mold. But let me, let, let me paint this picture for you. You come in, man, you just, you're starving and you're ready to go get something to eat. You open up the pantry and it's a little bit dark. You got some cabinet lights on. So you come in there and you, I love fresh, don't you love fresh bread? Y'all are hungry right now talking about fresh bread. I know what you're going to eat for lunch. Love fresh bread. You get that loaf out, you, you reach in there and you get two slices and you lay them out. And you, got, you got your Duke's mayonnaise. It's got to be Duke's mayonnaise. There's actually a Duke's mayonnaise bowl. I'm going to watch it. I don't even know who's playing it because I love Duke's mayonnaise. And you start smearing, you start spreading that mayonnaise, and you look down there, and there's all this mold on the bread. You say, oh, my gosh. It's ruined my appetite. Or maybe you go reach in the cabinet, and you pull out a can of Beanie Weenie, and you see that it's six months out of date. Or you go and get you a, a cup, and you go and get you some milk, and you start to pour, and it's clumps coming out. <clears throat> I'll tell you something, that inheritance we have from the Lord don't have clumps. It doesn't have an expiration date. It is reserved and it's waiting for you and me. He told his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. And I can have joy knowing that he's waiting for me. My future is waiting for me. And that should, that should produce within me exhilarating joy because then here's this third thing that blows my mind is that it cannot be taken away. Look at verse number five. It says, who are protected. And that word protected means to guard or keep and at its root is the word to stare. God is watching over your soul and your life 24 hours a day, seven days a week if we have to measure it in the timeline. He is protecting you watching by the power of God through faith for a salvation. Let me stop right there because there's three prepositions in the original language there. The word by is actually the word in. It means to be encompassed by. So think about it like this. You are inside the power of God rebirthing you through, through a tunnel, 
faith, and the result is salvation. And guys, that's where God has got you in the palm of your hand. You see, because that salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. I am as saved as I'm ever going to be at this moment. Tomorrow, I won't be more saved than I am today. I, have, I either am saved or I am not saved. But the only way I'm saved is if I put my hope in Jesus Christ, my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross and believed in him. John wrote that Jesus said, if you believe on him who sent me and in my word, you will pass from darkness to light. I'm telling you what, I don't like walking around in the dark. I had a friend of mine who was legally blind. He spent the night with me one night. He wasn't paying attention to what he was doing. He left his glasses off. He ran straight into the corner of our wall and had a shiner because we didn't have the lights on. I don't want to walk around in life like that, do you? I want to walk around in life knowing exactly where I'm going and why I'm going there. I want the gospel to give my life purpose. And in the, in the completed work of Christ on the cross, I have not only purpose, I can have that joy. Tony Evans, one of my favorite authors, as you know, said this, if you are truly born again, you are not going anywhere. Not because of your power to hold on to God, but because of he has an omnipotent grip on you. Some of you are sitting here today and you're wrestling. You're wrestling. You really don't know if you're saved or not. You can go back to a point in time, but your faith is non-existent. In fact, maybe you went down to an altar when you were little because some guy got up there and told you if you didn't get saved tonight, you were going to get in a car and you were going to die and go to hell. and You were scared to death, so you ran down to an altar, but, but you didn't really meet Jesus Christ in a personal relationship. And I'm telling you, this relationship is fullness of joy. Although joy is an emotion, biblical joy is more than that. It's living in the presence of that salvation now, living in anticipation for what is to come. It is weighing out what will be in the future. The finished work of Christ. But here's the second one. We can have joy in the victory of faith through suffering. Remember, I told you 1 Peter is about suffering. And so in verse 6, he says, in this, in what? The finished work. In the finished work, you greatly rejoice. Now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt your mind for a moment. Because this word, greatly rejoice, means to gush. Overflow. The root word means to leap. In fact, a few days ago, one of our kids in the church, I was walking through the hallway, I think's where I was. I really can't remember, but they said, hey, let's skip. And I said, come on, let's do it. I remembered that I can skip. But you know what? One day I won't be able to skip. And I know when I get to that point in my life, I'm going to wish I could skip. It reminds me of the man who was laying at the gate, beautiful, whom the Lord healed, and he jumped to his feet. When the ability to leap is taken away from you and then given back, I'm pretty sure you'll jump and leap, won't you? Guys, that's what this word means. It means to leap for joy, even though for a little while, if necessary, you have been made to be in distress by various trials. You know what I've learned about trials in life? It actually squeezes you enough that you begin to focus on what is real 
what is good and what really matters. We are blessed people. Right now, we have brothers and sisters around this world that are walking into basements and going through a, a, a labyrinth of, of doorways so that they can go hide and have church this morning. But yet, we sit here and get angry about all kinds of silly, frivolous things when they can't wait to get into that locked room in a, in a basement, locked away from the world, so that they can have a moment to read the Scripture together, to pray together, to worship together. Guys, when we realize that we have so much freedom, we don't take the freedoms that we have. Did y'all hear that, what I said? We have so much freedom that we don't relish in the freedom that we have to celebrate what the Lord has done. But sometimes, like spoiled children, we look up at God and we shake our fists and say, you need to make this a little bit better. See, that's why joy is not an emotion. If I wait until I feel like it, I will never worship. I will never express joy. But God is inviting you and me to sing a new song in our heart. How important is this suffering? Well, Peter says in in chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. For those of us that are believers in this room and online, what that says is that as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, suffering is a reality. I'm not talking about suffering that when you trip over over the clothes you left in the floor and stub your toe. That's not biblical suffering. It hurts, doesn't it? What he's talking about is what we're seeing began to get worse and worse. People putting us down and attempting to hurt us because we have identified with Jesus Christ. And the reason that you need it tested is so that you can see where you stand in your faith. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say false kinds of things, of ev- of false, all kinds of evil against you because of Jesus. He said, rejoice and be glad. Come on, I don't know the last time somebody came up and told me I was a scumbag that I went, okay, I am. I mean, but for the cause of Christ, being counted worthy to suffer for his name is one of the greatest blessings that you'll ever experience. And God equips you to be able to do that. Not only are these passages pointing to this reality of suffering, it points to the reality that we proclaim the gospel in our suffering. Why? Because as Jesus suffered on the cross, as he was nailed and shed his blood, we in our suffering reveal what it is that Jesus was exuding that day on the cross. Because even though he may have been anguishing in pain, the Bible's pretty clear that he was experiencing full joy. Because he was buying for you and me our salvation. In fact, Luke writes in Acts 5, talking about the apostles, the Sanhedrin calls calls them in and they flogged them. I want that to sit on you for a moment. They flogged them. They called the apostles in and flogged them because they were trying to shut them up. And they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for his name. The glorious and the majestic name of Jesus Christ. And I wonder sometimes in the busyness of the season, in the holidays, we're singing joy to the world and hark the herald angels singing 
that we don't realize that, yes, singing brings honor to the, and glory to God, but in our suffering, as we take the gospel to the nations, he is glorified. But you know what? I didn't, I didn't read in there where the apostles came out going, oh, it hurts so bad. I, I'm not going back and doing that again. I didn't hear them going like, or oh, maybe somebody will notice the red stains on my shirt. They didn't limp around looking for somebody to give them empathy. It says they were rejoicing for suffering for Christ. The Net Bible translates verse 7 this way, and I love it. Such trials show the proven character of your faith. The SV says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found. Found to what? To rejoice. Result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. In our suffering, we proclaim Jesus Christ. I can have joy in the finished work of Christ, having comfort in the power of God to prove my faith through the trial. Because each one of us has, you know, you have faith if you know Christ. But, but if you were to take a, a measuring a cylinder, maybe a two-gallon cylinder, and you go, all right, I'm going to pour my faith into here and see how much faith I have. Maybe you have a quart. Maybe you have a half a gallon. Maybe you have a gallon. Maybe you, I don't know how much. Maybe you have two, two, two gallons. But we know that faith is a gift of God, right? Romans 12. You need to know how much faith you have. God knows how much faith you have. God knows where your heart is right now, where your mind is right now. You need to be pressed, and I need to be pressed so I know, and I can find joy in that because he gives me the ability to move through the trial, to move through the suffering. And we need to le- learn to live in the and instead of the or. We, we really are people that like to live in boxes. I'm in this box or this box. I'm happy or sad. Why can't I be both? You and I have lost loved ones before where we know that they're in heaven. We know the life they live, their testimony, and they're in heaven. And it's like, yeah, I need to be happy that I know where they are. I should have joy knowing that they're in the presence of the Lord, that their body's been healed. But at the same time, I can experience extreme sorrow because I love them. And so it is a weird kind of combination. But when I learn to live in the and, it actually gives me freedom. Because when I live in the or, I put myself in a box and I chain myself down. And it actually robs my joy rather than give me joy. We need to be stretched. And when God is glorified, and I see that God is glorified and my heart's in the right mind, then I can have that joy. And the truth is, God does and is calling you and me into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not some kind of distant Um, God standing on the portal of heaven waiting to slap you down if you do something wrong. He's not up there like looking at your life and, 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 and being constantly angry at you. If he was, God would have never sent his son. But what he did is he sent his son to die for you and for me and because of that point three, we can have joy knowing Christ personally. No matter how alone you may feel, No matter what this world may bring against you, the fact that Jesus Christ knows me and that I know him ought to bring me at least a little bit of glimmer of joy. 
On my worst day, when my mind is, is all wrapped up in the anxieties and the depressions of life, I can have joy because I know Christ personally. But check this out. How did he defend this? He said this, for these readers... Many of them didn't witness Jesus Christ. They didn't get to experience his life. They didn't witness the crucifixion, see him rise from the dead, or ascend into heaven. What they saw was persecution and conflict. They didn't see Jesus. What they saw with the persecution and conflict was tangible and real. They experienced that. So then when Peter says to them, and though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. It blows my mind. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you're blessed. In fact, Jesus, in, in, the, in the book of John 20, 29, as he's speaking to, to Thomas, he says, come on, touch, touch me. Touch the wounds. He said, because you have seen me, now you believe? He says this, and this is you and me. Blessed are those who do not see but yet still believe. Isn't that crazy? That we would, we're taking the apostle's word in some ways at face value because no one in this room has witnessed the risen Lord. We didn't see him live. We didn't get to experience his life. We didn't see him come back from the dead. We didn't see him ascend to the, to the Father. But we believe. Why do we believe? Because the gospel gives me hope. It brings peace into my life. And because of those two things and those states of mind, I can have joy. I can have that same joy that the shepherds did have when the angel appeared to them. Because what this challenges you and me to do today is this, to rejoice in the joy that Christ produces. To rejoice in the joy that Christ produces. In his finished work, that he's carrying me through the suffering that I experience. In those things, I can find joy. And that's why when we, when we hear the words of, uh, to the shepherds in the same region, there were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were scared to death. You think they had joy at that moment? They were probably trying to hide behind the sheep and hoping they didn't fall over on them. He said, the angel said, but hold, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you Good news, great joy, which shall be to all people. For today in the city of David has been born a Savior, which is Christ, the anointed one. Jesus arrived and the city of Bethlehem was asleep. There were no kings awaiting his arrival. There was no limo that pulled up. There were, there were really no gifts. There was no tree. There was nothing but a smelly barn, some animals, Mary and Joseph holding the king of the universe in their hand. And that brought exceeding joy. It brought passion. Because it said when the angel had gone away from heaven, he said they said to each other, let's go straight to Bethlehem. They didn't say, hey, let's think about that for a little bit. Let's, let's go to the temple and ask the priest what they think. And what did they do? They went straight to the place. Because there were no signs, there was no neon flashes going on saying, hey, here's Jesus. There was a star hovered above where he laid and it led them to where they were supposed to go, just like the wise men. Absolutely 
they rejoiced. You would rejoice too. Though you have not seen him, you have believed in him. Charles Ryrie said this, Joy is not displayed in happiness alone, but also in heaviness. But heaviness doesn't have to be bad. It doesn't have to be bad. When we're pressed in life, I can still have joy because I know who has my life in his hand. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem days before his crucifixion, the crowds were crying out, same song we sang earlier, Hosanna. Save us now, O Lord, is what they were literally saying. And the Pharisees were going, shh, teacher, you need to, you need to shut them up. They need to stop saying this. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if they become silent, the rocks will start crying out. Remember I said the word rejoice means to bubble up, to gush, to release. And, and guys, I'm telling you, I can't tell you why you need to find joy in Christ other than this. Jesus has done more for you than you will ever possibly fathom. And there are things in this life that will take your joy away. There are things daily that are vying to, to keep you down and to, to make you feel less than you are. Jesus came to set you free from this world, from sin. And if I choose this Christmas season to be a Grinch, to be a grouch, to get caught up in all the busyness and I miss the joy that comes from knowing Christ, then I've missed it all. Because let me ask you a question. Did Jesus have joy? John 15, 11, he said this. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. See, I can't have full joy unless I know him. The writer of Hebrews said in 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What Jesus did wasn't joyful, but what it accomplished brought him true, true, true joy and pure joy. That's where I want to live. You see, his joy was knowing that what he did for you and me, what he did for you and he did for me, brought completeness in your life. And that brought him joy. And it reminds me of George Bailey. At the age of 12, I mean, George was always doing for everyone else with no question. He, he saves, basically saves his, his, the guy he works for. He saves them from that. As he grows older, he, he doesn't want to stay in Bedford, Bedford Falls. He wants to go and go to school and, and experience and explore and do all these things. So he never really got to experience the joy of life that he was searching for. But in his life, he did so much for everybody. But then comes that moment when he loses, they lose $8,000 and the police are going to come after him. And at that point, nothing in life made him happy. In fact, the only thing that was going to bring him contentment was to take his life. And he goes out to the bridge and he's standing on the bridge in a scene very similar to when his brother fell in. You ever catch that? He's standing over the icy waters that he saved his brother from but didn't see his life valuable enough to save himself. 
And as he's about to jump in, all of a sudden another body comes flying by him, and he did not hesitate to jump in and save Clarence. So Clarence reveals to him that, that he was his guardian angel sent to, to rescue him. And, and George says, well, you look about like the kind of angel I can. Mr. Gower cabled you need cash. Stop. But then he takes him on a journey to a life where George didn't exist. So his brother didn't get saved. And his brother didn't go off to war and save that battalion of men. He didn't help all those people get the loans. And so the town kind of turned upside down. And instead of being bed for falls, it was Pottersville. He saw what would happen to his life. And so... Finally, exacerbated, he, he's like, I just want my life back. I just, I just want my life back. I, I, want, I want to live again. And he, 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 he wakes up from this, from this moment, and he's back in reality. And he runs to his house because he knew what he found joy in. He found joy in his family. He found joy in his friends. He found joy that he had helped people. He found joy that his life did matter. And so he rushes, he rushes to, to his house and he, and he walks in and there's the bank examiner and there's the, the, the authority standing there and, he's, and the, 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 the officer pulls a piece of paper out and he says, well, I, I, I bet that's a warrant for my arrest. Isn't it wonderful? I'm going to jail. And then he runs down and he says, oh, look at this wonderful old drafty house. Because he, he hated that house. And then, and then as he's going up the steps, the newel post... At the bottom of the steps, he grabs it, and time and time again, that thing would come off, and he looked at it for a moment. But he had rediscovered joy, and he kisses it, and he puts it back in place. And so as you see on the screen, this book, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, it belonged to Clarence. And I want you to see what it says in there. It says, remember, no man is a failure who has, wing, has friends. Thanks for the wings. Love Clarence. Because even in coming to a realization of himself, George saved Clarence. He found joy in helping others find their fulfillment. And Jesus Christ did the same thing for you and for me. And in that, as we look behind me to my left and we see this tree, this tree shines. This tree gives off light. This, this tree exemplifies joy. We see that the Charlie Brown tree represented hope. And we see the Grinch tree representing peace. But this one today represents joy. And so, Father, as we come to this moment of worship, Lord, would you open our hearts up? Would you lead us? Would you give us favor in this community? with the families that we seek to serve. God, would you burden our hearts that we would be willing to do whatever you would call us to do, that we take joy today knowing who you are, the finished work of Christ, that you'll carry us through anything that we will ever suffer. And you've called us to be joy-filled people. So Lord, as we sing to you, as our kids lead us, Lord, I pray and we can experience that joy. Just a little taste of heaven right here, right now for what is to come in Christ's name.